So we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we are, uh, I would say, three-quarters of the way or more through. Um, about mid-July, we'll finish up, and I'll tell you somewhere along the line towards the end of June where we're going after the Sermon on the Mount. But um, you can turn in Matthew 6, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. As you have seen in the songs and the scripture and, um, you know, this, these words of anxiety and worry and fret and distress and aggravation and tension and irritability, these, these are words that have meaning to us. Um, they are, are feelings that we have inside ourselves often and that inner turmoil I will tell you, will lead to an outer turmoil of how we relate not only to each other, but how we relate to God. And so these are emotions that, that we all know and that we all have experienced at some point in our life. And, and they motivate so much of us in so many ways. And, of course, social media and uh, our, our TV media plays on that. So you've seen the Jeep commercial, and the Jeep commercial will tell you that um, in, in a bad storm, when your child is sick, if you've got a Jeep, it will get you to the hospital safely and reliably. It will get you there. So that's how we are played on those emotions of that inner being. Politicians do that. They, they mudsling each other, and then what they do is say, hey, if you vote for him, your whole life is going down the drain. But, man, if you vote for me, your whole future is going to be perfect. And I wonder how many times we go into the voting booth and we think about what we've heard from one or another candidate, and it doesn't matter whether it's a local election or a state or even our national elections. I would dare say that somehow, in some way, for some people, that voice inside of them says, oh, if I vote for this one, my life is going to be, and you fill in the word, but if I vote for this one, my life is going to be perfect. Because they are going to do everything that I want and like. Playing on emotions often. Anxiety, worry, fret, distress, aggravation, tension, irritability, and there's a lot of other words that are on that screen. They are, again, common feelings. It's been said that do not fear is in some variation mentioned 350 times in Scripture. 350 times. God told Gideon, as he called him, do not be afraid. He told Jeremiah, as he called the prophet to go and preach to the nations, do not be afraid. Christ told the women, as we looked at just a few weeks ago, as they came to the tomb, the angels that were there said, do not be afraid, he is risen. 
Philippians 4, 6, Paul tells the church in Philippi, do not be anxious for anything. The Greek word there for anxious, again, is worry. Do not worry about anything. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and you remember um, the story, and Adam um, got a new word in his vocabulary. Because you see, after they had sinned, and it was evening, chapter 3 says, and they came, God came to the garden, and they had hidden. And God calls to Adam, and Adam comes out, and God says, what are you doing, dude? I mean, I don't think he said it that way, but probably in today's dialect, that's probably what maybe he would have said to Adam. What are you doing, dude? And Adam says, we were hiding. Do you remember what he said after that? Because I was afraid. I was afraid, he said. And so because of the fall of man, we have this fear. We have fear of failure. We also have fear of success. If any of you have been successful in life and had those successes in business and in, in, in whatever avenue that you have had, even success can bring fear. We have sometimes fear of death. Fear becomes a norm sometimes for some of us. And the scriptures remind us that fear can be an absence of love. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love drives out fear. And so our relationship with God, our relationship with others can be fractured because of worry and fear and anxiety. And therefore it can plague us with our ability to love the way we should, love the Lord God and to love others. Our text today is, is an interesting set of verses, and Christ is teaching, and he is on the side of the mountain, and, and we've been studying this Sermon on the Mount, and he gets to this point, and he gives this command. He, he does not say to them, um, this is a suggestion. Uh, please, let's just think about maybe not worrying about so much about what you eat or drink or wear. But Jesus gives this command. Listen to the verses as we pick up with verse 25 and read to the end of the, the chapter. So we are finishing chapter 6. Uh, we've only been, been in this since the 1st of September. And so you, you know how methodically I go along. You ought to be happy that I'm doing 25 through 34. I could have broke this up. Listen to the word of God. For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body, as to you what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, being worried, can add a single hour to his life? 
And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, we hear that again, do not worry then, saying, what will I eat or what will I drink or what will I wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds for what you would hold for us this day through your holy word. I pray this in your name. Amen. So last week we looked at this treasure, treasure on earth, storing treasures in heaven. And Christ said, we're, we as believers are to store our treasures in heaven. There will our reward be found. And now he comes to this point in the passage in his sermon. And in verse 25 says, for this reason or in some versions, it will say, therefore. And, and so Jesus says, do not worry. He actually says it three times in this passage. Um, but don't we worry about things? Aren't there things that just we worry about that we are concerned with? 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, Paul says this, apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me for my anxious concern for all the churches. And anxious here is concern, is, is a concern of worry for the churches. And so there are times when we are concerned about what is going on, but the way Jesus is teaching here is to remind us as we are concerned about things of life and life ahead, and we know, and I said last week, we should plan. It's good to plan ahead, but we need to seek God in that planning. And, and Jesus is saying here, yes, there are concerns, but our spiritual lives and how we are connected to Christ, how we are connected to God, how we love one another, Worry is going to impact that. And he says, don't do that. Don't worry. And then he says to the disciples that are there, O ye of little faith. They had faith. As they, as they moved forward and as Pentecost came and as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit came, they, they had faith in eternal life. They knew what Christ had done for them. But, but worries would still set in. And God knew 
Christ knew that this was going to be something that they would face. A preacher once said, worry is sin because it denies the wisdom of God. It says that he does not know what he is doing. Worry denies the love of God, for it says that God does not care. And worry denies the power of God because it says that he isn't able to deliver whatever, me from whatever is causing me to worry. But Jesus, in this passage, gives us an understanding, or as I titled it, Jesus' cure for anxiety, or you could insert the word worry there. So I'm going to give you six, what I think from this passage, ways that Jesus gives us as a, a cure for anxiety. And in and, and each of these, I hope that maybe you will take back and just read back through the passage and see how it might apply or where you are living into it. And so first, Jesus' cure for anxiety, we must focus on eternal matters instead of temporary ones. In verse 25. And so, as I said, Jesus says, for this reason or, or therefore, and, and he is telling them, look, you need to store your treasure up in heaven. You need to be connected to me, to my Father. This is what is important. If you store your treasures on earth where the moss and the rust and all of these things are going to nip at it, all of these earthly temporary things are going to eat it up. You're going to worry. You're going to be disheartened. You're actually not going to have a reward. Essentially, Christ is saying, focus on the internal matters instead of the temporary ones yes we all need to eat yes we need to have clothing to protect us in many cases from the environment around us but jesus says look this physical body these things of this world yes they're important but god is going to help you through that focus on god and you will see how god will work. It's about focusing on him and keeping him foremost in all things. Today is, again, we watch TV or commercials or even listen on social media or to our friends that may live ne next to us or in the cubicle apart from us at work. We are told, it's all about you. And so the pleasant smelling things and the things that make you comfortable and the entertaining things and the things that make you attractive. How many commercials, if you have watched any TV this week, has told you some way to make yourself more attractive, appealing to the opposite sex? The primary concern often in this world is on temporal things, things that are temporary that will go away. And Jesus says our concern is about heaven and that we are to abide in him. 
Christ's focus as he, in verse 33 in this chapter, he tells us we are to seek his kingdom first and all of his righteousness. To overcome worry is to focus on heavenly things, to focus on growing in Christ, our spiritual life, building the kingdom of God. Last week I read Colossians 3.2. I want to actually read the first four uh, verses of uh, chapter 3 in Colossians this morning. And it says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking on things above, not things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed with him in glory. And so Paul tells the church at Colossae that we are to seek things above, not the things of this earth. We are to keep our mind focused on Christ in all things because of what Christ has done. He has died for us, and we are hidden in him. We are connected to him. This Presbytery meeting, the theme, and and each time I come back from Presbytery, I usually tell you what the theme of the, the weekend was. And it was seeking the mind of Christ or being of the mind of Christ from 1 Corinthians 2. And and you can read that passage this afternoon and see uh, where we were going with that this weekend. And each of the sermons and each of our our resource times and, and our breakout times for teaching elders and ruling elders focused on this relationship of being with Christ, being with Jesus. And yesterday morning, um, Rob taught us in, in a resource time, Rob Westland, who is our missional director and pastor at Inglewood in Rocky Mount. Um, Rob made this statement. He said, churches, well, he posted in a question, is your church doing Jesus things without Jesus? Is your church doing Jesus things? In other words, he was saying, a lot of churches are doing some great things. The ministries are great. Uh, They may be reaching out to their community. They may have love for one another. But is the church focused on Jesus? Is Jesus a part of the church? Is the church connected to him? Because there's that abiding. If you were here Wednesday night, I talked about abiding in Christ in Bible study. And Christ says we are to abide in him as he abides in us. And there is a connection that has to take place. And if that connection is fractured in any way, even in worry... In the anxiety, the worry about what tomorrow may bring. You've got to wonder, we've got to ask ourselves, are we seeking the mind of Christ? Are we abiding in him? And that leads us to that second point. And Jesus' cure for anxiety says we must focus on our Father's 
providential care. And in verse 26 and 28, 9 and 30, Jesus gives us three examples, and they are examples of God's providential care through nature. He does care about his creation. We see God caring about his creation over and over again. He even says the flowers, the the, the the flowers that are growing, the, the grass that is growing, is, is not even uh, holds a candle to Solomon in all of his splendor. And so this doctrine that God's providence is in place is so important for us to understand. He said he would never leave us or forsake us, that he would walk with us, he would be with us. God is not like the watchmaker that makes the watch, puts all the mechanisms together, puts it inside, and then just simply allows for it to run on its own. God is always connected to the one that has given his life to him, who has surrendered his life. Folks, it is us, it is me who walks out of that life or that light at times and, and tries to go my own way. Have you ever done something, planned something in ministry? And as you're finishing your planning, as you have got everything figured out, then you say, oh Lord, will you bless my plans? Shouldn't it be the other way around? God, what are you calling me to? Please lead me in what you want me to do. Nothing happens by happenstance. God is in control. God is a part of his creation, a part of his word and his world. And we all could say, I saw God do that. <clears throat> I saw God do this. He cares. He cares. Christ commands us not to worry. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 3 that we shouldn't be lazy, that we should be in work with God, that we should continue to, to work. In fact, he actually says that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. <laughs> Um, man, that's tough. Christ is teaching us to trust him, to know that he is present, that he, God, is still providential. He is still sovereign. He still cares. And as we struggle with fear and as we struggle with anxiety, would not it be to our behalf that we would think, Wait a minute. If God is with me, God is in me, the Holy Spirit actually dwells in me, shouldn't I rely on Christ and put anxiety and fear aside? If we're going to overcome worry, we must focus that Christ is present in his providential care Third, Jesus says this cure for anxiety, we must recognize that we are great, a great value to God in verse 26. 
he says, the, the father cares, the father gives. He says, aren't you more valuable? Aren't you more valuable than all of these other things? Birds are not made in the image of God. We are made in the image of, of God. And he gives these examples and reminds us that as we are transformed, as we surrender and are transformed into the likeness, the image of Christ, as we live our life out in this life, we are co-heirs, sons and daughters with God. And God has great value for us. Great value. Sometimes we worry because we think, well, where did God go in this? Where is God in this particular valley in my life? But God reminds us that his promises are true. Romans 8 31 and 32 reads this way, What then shall I say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? This is again about this connection with our Savior, the one who died for us. We have supreme value. Jesus died for me because he loves me. He wants that reconciliation, provided that reconciliation back to the Father. So how can we know our value? How can we know our value when it comes to, to Christ? First, we must constantly be in the Scripture. We must constantly study the Scripture. As we study Scripture, we understand and we be, begin to see this story of God unfold before us, starting in Genesis and with creation and then in 3.15 that there will be a way through Jesus. The serpent's head would be crushed as we read the love story of God, as we read through Scripture and study Scripture, we realize that this was no accident. There is no evolution. God has a purpose, and it's not on position or money or beauty or any of that, that he values us because he loves us, and he sent his son to die for us. And as we read the story, it unfolds before us. This love story that God has for us. We see our value in Scripture. Secondly, we see our value as we pray and communicate with God. And prayer, you've heard me say a hundred thousand times probably in the last 14 years, prayer is a two-way street. And so often we just pray and give our wish list or sometimes we'll say a little praise. Thank you, Father, that I didn't get killed in that accident that just happened. And then you start saying, but you know, tomorrow I've got this coming up. Would you mind blessing that for me? And then we go on about our daily routines and our day. How many times do we stop and listen? How many times do we take our prayer life and let God enlighten us. Paul tells the church at Ephesus in the first chapter, the 18th verse, 
I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory, inheritance as his people. And Paul gives this petition as he prays for these that he is a part of, this church in Ephesus, that we are the very inheritance of God. And shouldn't we praise God and then seek God's as we seek God as we listen to him as we pray. And then thirdly, we must grow in our faith. Jesus in this passage says, O ye of little faith, if you were reading the King James Version. And as we grow in faith, our doubt begins to wean. In other words, the more that we have understanding of what God has done for us, and the more that we are trusting God in faith, the more we can put Satan at bay. Because I will tell you that Satan attacks God's character all the time. So what he will do, he will say to you, God didn't show up, did he? God didn't help you in that you went through that trouble, where did you see God? And you start to, to doubt God's character. That's what Satan wants you to do, is to doubt God's character. And the more faith that we have, the stronger our faith and our trust is that God is there and present. And we know that God has value. God sees us as a value to him. We are as 1 John says, his beloved children. We are his beloved children. The fourth cure that Jesus gives for anxiety is that we've got to recognize that it's unproductive. Um, I don't know uh, how many of you have um, had worry in such a in such just a uh, uh, on you, just on your shoulders, pushing you down in such a way that it has affected you in, in such a way that it's even hard to go about the things of life. It's hard to live your life out. John MacArthur says, you can worry yourself to death, but not to life. You can worry yourself to death, but not to life. Worry does not benefit us physically, spiritually, mentally. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in the heart will bring a man or a woman to depression. And typically, we start to worry about something, and as that trust begins to wane and as Satan begins to press in on that worry on us as our, our faith begins to wane where is God our mood begins to change our relationship with others will be affected of how we relate to our loved ones to those that we work with as worry presses in on us it is not productive to worry we find ourselves discouraged. We find ourselves weaning spiritually. And Satan will use 
that time of worry to try to pull you away from devotion, time of prayer, time of worship. I've 31 years of 32 years, going into 32 years of ministry, I have had those that have sat across me in my office and has said, I just don't think on Sunday morning when, when I try to get up and come to worship, I just can't do it. All of the things of this world, all the things are just going around in my mind and I can't do it. Worry will stunt spiritual growth in just a second. But the Bible teaches us that God is walking with us, that he is walking with us. He has gone nowhere. His promises are true. His promises are true. He is trustworthy. And that gets us to that fifth point. In verse 31 and 32 and 3, Jesus says, we must pursue God's promise, his promises. There is someone, it's not me, that has counted, says there's over 3,000 promises that God has given us in his word. Now, if you want to take this week and, and check that out and come back to me next week and say there's 2,999, it's fine. I'll, I'll take it. Matthew 6:33 one of the great promises seek the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all of these needs will be met added to you this is a priority that, that we pursue Christ first that Christ is first in all that we do this present imperative here means that it is unceasing. It is a quest that is continual. And so as, as this is, is not occasional, it's an ongoing endeavor on our, our part to connect with Christ and be a part of his kingdom and righteousness for his sake. We are to glorify him in all things. The kingdom of God is the place that God reigns. And if God reigns in our heart and we are pursuing his righteousness, if we are doing the things that God has called us to do and sharing the gospel, reading his word, connecting with one another in love, then we begin to grow in our faith and push out that darkness we begin to live into the promises that God has given us through Christ. Seeking God's kingdom first has to require, has to be involved with us conquering the sin in our life. If you have some sin that is a part of your life, Repentance, confession has to be a part of that right now so that as you connect with Christ in forgiveness, that you begin again to grow together, to grow in spiritual righteousness with God. 
we pursue righteousness in all things, in all ways, inside the church, outside the church, with your wife and children and your family, in your job. We, we tend to segregate things out in our life, and God says, absolutely not. I want you to pursue my kingdom and my righteousness in every single aspect of your life. And if you are segregating something out, you have to turn that over to Christ. You have to turn that over. Because I tell you, Satan will jump on that and worry will come into play. And then finally, I'll wrap this up. Jesus' cure for anxiety is that we must focus on God's grace today. It's verse 34. It's an interesting verse, right? Verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Did Jesus say that there would be no troubles if we come to faith in Jesus Christ? If, if there are those, and I've heard it preached from the pulpit, that you aren't strong enough in your faith, and you don't have this or that, or if you've got this disease, you just don't have enough faith. Because if you are right with God, there's no troubles, there's no fears. That's not in Scripture. Jesus is preaching here, and he is, he is saying, hey, there's enough troubles tomorrow of its own. Worry about today. Take care today. Focus on me today. My grace is sufficient today. Now, he is not saying don't plan. He's not saying that we shouldn't look forward and, and plan and, and know where we're going. But he says, look, you, my grace is sufficient today. Everything has been set into motion. There's going to be earthquakes and famine. There's going to be tornadoes. We are uh, in a level two this afternoon in this area of North Carolina. And if you read that level two, it says there's a possibility of hail and tornadoes. It's part of the nature that has been put into place. But God is still present in all of that. The effects of all of the troubles came out of the fall, folks. It was perfect, and the fall happened. And God provided a way of grace for us, grace in this day, grace for today. And God desires for us to depend on him, not be independent of him but dependent on him. God provides. He loves. He cares. Look at these six things again. We must focus on eternal matters instead of temporary ones. We must focus on our Father's provisional care. We must recognize our great value to God. We must recognize how unproductive it, being worry, is. We must pursue God's promises. We must focus on God's grace for today. And I hope that you noticed the we must. Jesus says, do not worry. 
calls us to live into him and to walk with him and trust him in all things, whether it's the valley of life or we're on the mountaintop and celebrating or anywhere in between, as we walk with him, as the Holy Spirit that lives in us as believers, he will be with you, church. He will. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you remind us just through a few simple illustrations that your son is teaching in this passage that you care for us, you value us, you love us. And it's your desire for us to be in a relationship with you that is, is not one of worry. Because it will affect us emotionally and mentally and physically, spiritually in so many ways. Should we have concern? Yes. But should we worry? No. So, Father, I pray that you would draw us closer to you, that we would surrender whatever it is that we may have, that we're holding on to, that, that one thing in this world that we just can't let go of. And so, Father, just let us hear your voice. Let us put all of our supplications before you so that our relationship is the way that you desire. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Thank you, Father, for that promise. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.